Good morning, Valley Bible Church. Good to see you on this Thanksgiving week as we have worshipped and continue to worship a holy God. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to just jump right there. If you have your Bibles or some form of God's Word in your possession this morning, I encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. Our text this morning is verses 27 through 34. This is um, our uh, last in this short section on the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, and uh, we want to look at it closely this morning. So, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, and would you honor the reading of God's Word by standing with me this morning as we read together 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 34, the Word of God. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we had judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together, eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, it is uh, Thanksgiving weekend, and this morning we're going to look at a Thanksgiving parody. A Thanksgiving parody. Thanksgiving um, is uh, a biblical word. The Greek word for Thanksgiving is is the word eucharistos. We get the word Eucharist from it. As we saw last week, when Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, Eucharisteo, and that's why this is often called the Eucharist, a giving of thanks, which means to be grateful. And so this is Thanksgiving week, and this is an opportunity for us on Thanksgiving Day to gather together, to ask the Lord's blessings, and to give thanks to him for the many blessings that he has done. But what is happening in Corinth was a Thanksgiving parody. It's, it's, you've heard of this before. A family comes together on Thanksgiving Day. They come together to be together, to give thanks, to eat around a meal, and it turns into a brawl because people are arguing about politics or they're arguing about how the turkey was cooked, or whether you have cornbread stuffing or bread stuffing, or whatever it may be, and it turns into this parody of Thanksgiving where everybody's upset and there's no Thanksgiving at all. What was happening in the church of Corinth was more like this, and I'll describe a scenario to you. A church where there are divisions according to class, people who are more wealthy, And then you have people always in a church who are more needy. And in this church, there's there's this division. And a 
more wealthy person has decided to invite a young couple to Thanksgiving dinner. The young couple has six kids, and they don't have a lot of food. They don't have a lot of money. So they ask their, their host, so what, uh, what should we bring? They say, nothing. Just come, bring your kids. What time should we come? Come at 4 o'clock. So the family gets there at 4.15 because of, obviously they have six kids. And when they come in the door, they see that there are all these people there. That's the group at the church. People that have uh, wealth and, and have always treated them rather poorly. And when they come in the door, the host says, oh, welcome. You know what? We decided to eat at 3 o'clock because we were hungry. So there's no more turkey, no more gravy, no more stuffing, no more potatoes. But there is a turkey carcass in the kitchen if you want to pick on that, you and your six kids, or boil it up for some soup. That is what was happening at the church in Corinth. And so in that family, they say, well, let's all stand around the table, join hands, and give thanks to God for those things for which we are thankful. It's a parody. It's a mockery of thanksgiving. And that's what was happening in Corinth. Pretty much the same thing. The very thing that communion represented, they denied. They did the very opposite of what communion represented and what was meant to achieve. They were living exactly opposite of what communion portrays. A body. Redeemed body. People who are unified by the body of Christ. And the very thing that unifies them, the glue that holds them together, they were using as a cleaver to separate themselves. That's what was happening in Corinth. There's our redemption, which is vertical, but there is also our redemption, which is horizontal. And that's the part that they were denying. So we're going to look at the Lord's Supper. You can call it the Eucharist. You can call it communion. But we're calling it the Lord's Supper because that's what Paul called it in, uh, in our passage last week, the Lord's Supper. And let's revisit the problem because he gave us the problem earlier. Last week we looked at the, the joyful participation of communion. But now he revisits the problem and he gives us the solution. The problem was misuse of communion due to misunderstanding. The Corinthians did not understand what communion was all about, and so therefore they were misusing it as just a time to divide from one another, for there were many divisions in the church. Verse 27, therefore, having just given all the great things that the communion means, this is my body which is for you, this is my, my blood which is for you, therefore whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's a strong statement. To partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Now, we often think and this is the way we usually put it, we don't want to partake of, an, of communion in an unworthy manner. That means you shouldn't have unconfessed sin in your life. Of course, you should never have unconfessed sin in your life. But I don't think that's exactly what Paul is saying. The unworthy manner was the divisions at Corinth. They had a careless treatment of the Lord's Supper. They had this divisive attitude about the haves and the have-nots. 
They had a ranking system. They misused the elements. Some were even getting drunk and some were gorging themselves on food. They didn't understand what they were even doing. They despised God's church, Paul said, and the unity that it, was, that it portrays. They did not esteem others as more important than themselves. And they were selfishly excluding others from the table and from that meal. You remember, they would have a meal together, and then the communion portion would be at the end. But the rich people were eating first and eating the best and eating the most. And then they would let the poor people come in. And Paul said, that's not the Lord's Supper. You're doing more harm than good with this parody of Thanksgiving, of a Thanksgiving meal. So the unworthiness that Paul had in mind was participating in the Lord's Supper in a way that failed to exhibit the unity that they had in Christ. Let me say that again. The unworthiness that Paul had in mind when he said don't partake in an unworthy manner was that they were participating in the Lord's Supper in a way that failed to exhibit their unity in Christ. That's what was going on. Notice he didn't advise them to, okay, confess your sins. Of course, like I said, we should always confess our sins. Sin is involved. But Paul wants to correct their thinking about communion itself. He wants to correct their theology so that he can change their practice. Orthodoxy always precedes orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right belief. Orthopraxy is right practice. You must know the theology of the thing before you practice the thing. And they did not understand the theology of the thing of communion. They misunderstood it. It's like baptism. You have to understand the theology of baptism. I was dead in my sins. I, I confessed my sins. I believed in Jesus He made me alive together with him. By grace, I have been saved. He washed me of my sins. This is what happened to me. Therefore, I'm being baptized. Not, oh, it's a nice, warm, it's a warm day. There's cool water. Let me just jump in there because it looks like fun. You must understand the theology of the thing before the practice of the thing. And that was the problem with Corinth and the Lord's table. So that's what the manner of worthy means. But then he says, you will be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ if you don't do that. If you don't partake in a worthy manner. Obviously, when he says that, he's not saying that you're going to lose your salvation. You're not guilty of the, the body and the blood of Christ in the same way that an unbeliever is. That Christ goes to the cross for the sins that we have committed, but he passes over our sins when we place our faith in him. This is not a loss of salvation, but the, but the, the idea of guilt here means to be held liable. You will be answerable. There are, there are consequences for partaking of the Lord's table with disunity. And he's going to talk about those consequences later, which are going to be discipline. So therefore, he says, it is necessary to examine yourself. He says, but a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. These are both imperatives. Examine yourself, eat. Examine yourself, take communion. You must do both of these things. 
And again, oftentimes we view this as, okay, this is the time where we hold the communion elements in our hands and we quietly um, have this time of introspection where we, where we confess our sins. We should do that, yes. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about partaking of the Lord's table in a way that is dis, disunified. And, and it's not about this atomistic individuality of myself. It is about us as a body, that we're not unified. I think we are, as a church, unified. But the church in Corinth was not. So when he says, examine yourself, what he's saying here is to see that you are genuine in your understanding of the church. Examine yourself to see that you are including other believers in this meal, in your practice. Because I think it goes beyond just the individual meal, but it goes to how the church was actually living out that unity, for they were not. Verse 29 then says this, For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. This is key to understanding what Paul is talking about here, this use of the word body in this verse, judging the body rightly. He's not talking about the physical body of Christ. He's talking about the body of Christ that is the church. He's talking about us, that we have rightly discerned the body of believers. We have rightly discerned our relationship with one another. We have rightly understood and believed that the, that the, 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 the bread and the cup makes us one. So this is the key to understanding what Paul is talking about, that he's talking about the body discerning it properly that we are the church. Why is this so important? For a couple reasons. Because of what communion represents. What does communion represent? The body and the blood of Christ. So the bread and the cup represent the body and the blood of Christ. And the body and the blood of Christ represent what? His suffering and his death on our behalf. But what does communion achieve? It achieves our individual redemption, but it also achieves our becoming a redeemed people, the body. And that's what Paul is talking about. You're concerned about yourself. Your own individual redemption, your own filling your own stomach. But we are a body. We are one body in Christ. Remember what Paul said in chapter 10. Uh, last week was uh, we came forward for communion. And the last time we did that was when we were in chapter 10, in which Paul said this, 10:16, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless, a sharing, a communion, that is. That's the word communion. Is it a communion in the blood of Christ? Yes, it is. Is not the bread which we break a communion in the body of Christ? We participate in the body of Christ. Yes, it is. And then he said this. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. So when Paul says 
He who eats and drinks and eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not rightly judge the body, discerning that we are one, understanding that, and practicing that as well. In a few verses, we're going, in a, but after Advent, we're going to be in, in chapter 12 where Paul continues the same idea that we are one, where he talks about we have all been baptized by one spirit into one body. We all have gifts, and we are not to make distinctions based upon those spiritual gifts. We are all to work to build up the body of Christ. They had distinctions based in chapter 1 on and divisions based upon personalities. Here they have distinctions and divisions based upon um, socioeconomic class. And in chapter 12 through 14, there are distinctions in the church of Corinth based upon who has what spiritual gift. And Paul is saying, you're one. And when you come together with the Lord's table, you're declaring that. You're one with him, but you're one with one another. And to say that we, uh, this, this is the, the point of it all, communion is not just any other meal, he's telling them, because to them it just it was. Because we're not just any other group of people. You see, when we come together, even though we have uh, people with, some people have more money than others, uh, some people are older, younger, different colors of skin, there is now no Jew or Greek or slave or free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. And communion pictures that, that we are one. It is important and it is egregious because of what communion represents, the body and the blood, because of what communion achieves, our individual redemption is a wonderful thing. But we become this redeemed body, and communion, again, is the glue that holds us together, and they were using it as a cleaver to separate themselves from one another. So when we partake of communion, it's a solemn declaration that, yes, you are Christ's redeemed, but it's also a sacred declaration that we are all part of his body. And this is the irony in Corinth. The very thing that allows them to boldly come and draw near to God, the suffering and the death of Christ, and the remembrance of that portrayed in the table, that very thing is the thing they're abusing. The very thing that makes them one, the suffering and the death of Christ portrayed in the table, is the very thing that they're using to divide themselves. It's a parody. It's the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be. And that's why Paul said, you're not even partaking of communion. You don't even know what you're doing. Some application for us. Come prepared to worship and come prepared for communion. Prepare Saturday night. Prepare early Sunday morning. Prepare Friday afternoon. But don't wait until Sunday morning. I think the, the idea, we, we're, we always think that, uh, okay, what time for communion? That's the time I'm going to prepare my heart. We should be prepared beforehand because if we are at odds with a brother, we should go before church during the week sometime to make that right. Don't come expecting the worship team to, to prepare your heart by some wonderful song. Or don't come preparing, I'm just going to wait to see what the preacher says. Is he going to say something funny? Will he say something clever? Will he say something memorable? Will he tell a sad story? That's not why we're here. 
And then your mind becomes distracted, kickoff, lunch. And by the time we get to the Lord's table, it's like, man, we're getting on here. We want to partake in a worthy manner by recognizing that we, we include everyone and we don't want ourselves to be distracted. So, yes, we should examine ourselves and we should come in a worthy manner. Second of all, more in line with what Paul is saying, come in fellowship with Christ and come in fellowship with one another. When we come to the Lord's table, we should be in fellowship with him, having already confessed our sins, and we should already be in fellowship with one another. If there's a problem, it should have already be dealt with. Don't wait till the communion service to stand up and go over. Yeah, I know that happens. It's probably not the best time, honestly. Take care of it beforehand. Finally, if we're going to turn this parody around, give thanks. Show gratitude to God for our redemption. Turn this parody of this Thanksgiving meal around to what it really is, a time of Thanksgiving for our collective redemption and our individual redemption. So that was the problem in Corinth. And there were consequences, unfortunately. The consequences in verses 30 through 32, consequences were God's discipline. God was disciplining some of the Christians in Corinth. And this is a difficult passage. It's a difficult truth to understand. He says in verse 30, For this reason, because you're, you're not rightly discerning and understanding that you are one, and you're living out disunity and using communion improperly, for this reason... Many among you are weak and sick, and the numbers sleep. Many. I think the entire church at Corinth was under God's judgment for this. I don't know if this, I guess this could be repeatable, but I don't think that the very same scenario happens very often. We don't partake of the Lord's table with a fellowship meal, for instance, with the Lord's table at the end, the Lord's Supper at the end. We don't do that. We, it's, it's something that's more of a representative meal for us at the end of the service or sometime in the service. But for them, they turned the whole thing into a divisive issue. But here's what we need to understand. God is holy and will be treated as holy. And he takes sin very seriously when he says, Because you've misused this, some of you are sick. And many, he said, are sick, rather. And some have even fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for died. Some Christians in the church in Corinth, God had taken their life for this issue. That's how important it was to God. He takes sin very seriously. Christ is jealous for his bride. Christ is jealous for his bride. We are his bride and he has redeemed us and he is jealous for us to be holy. He is jealous for us to be unified. He is jealous for us to come to the Lord's table and to partake of it in a worthy manner. And when we don't, like any jealous husband, he's hurt. 
and even properly angered. Because sin against the church is sin against Christ. We often think of of sin as just this personal thing that I do. Yes, it's against God. But sin against the church is sin against Christ. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, 12. He said, and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Because we are Christ's body. So when we are at odds with one another, oh, I had an argument with, uh, with my brother, with uh, my friend from church, and we had an argument over this thing, and so he and I are out of fellowship with one another. Guess what? You're not just out of fellowship with him or her. You are out of fellowship with Christ. When we are at odds with another believer in Christ, we are at odds with Christ himself. Because sin against the church is sin against Christ himself. We have to be careful of being always critical and looking down our noses at other people or the church in general. God takes his church very seriously. So then he says in verse 31, But if we are judged rightly, we would not be judged. If we all together properly understand and discern what God has done in communion by making us one, if we properly judge that rightly and understand that we are one, then we don't have to worry about being disciplined. We don't have to worry about his judgment. If we understand the proper nature of what unites us as a body, if we understand rightly the nature of our relationship with one another, and again, this goes beyond some kind of momentary examination at communion, it extends to the way we actually practice unity in every other aspect of our relationship as a church. Then we don't have to worry about it. Verse 32, though, he says, but when we are judged... We are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. That's what what Paul said earlier when he said, um, whoever eats in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood. These are consequences, he said. God will hold you accountable. He's not going to judge you. He's not going to condemn you forever. You're not going to lose your salvation. But he might discipline you or me or us. Not in the same way that the world is condemned for its sin because he has passed over our sins. He was judged for our sins. We have proclaimed that in the Lord's table. We are forgiven. Romans 8, 1, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But there may be accountability in this life. So here are some things to help us understand this whole illness thing. First of all, the cause of all illness is sin. Right? See Adam and Eve. All right? The cause of all illness, all ills, all problems in the world is because of sin entering the world. Most illnesses and most death are a natural consequence of the unnatural entrance of sin into creation. Depravity, the curse, 
So we must be careful of making judgments about other believers. And someone's sick, we go, I think there's sin in their life. It's not up to us to judge. And perhaps we can't. Perhaps uh, Paul, with some apostolic authority, was the only one who was able to look at the Corinthians and say, look, I know what's going on because Paul was leading. God was leading Paul as an apostle. We must be careful of that. Second of all, the cause of some illness is personal sin. And that's the case here. So we must understand the possibility that if we are sick, there might be sin in our life, to which what do we do? We confess it and we forsake it. By this, we are warned that God is gracious and he is forgiving, but he is also holy and he takes our treatment of our salvation seriously. If we take grace for granted, he doesn't want us to do that. He wants to ensure that he is always respected. Next, all illness is for God's glory and for our sanctification. Every illness. In fact, every trial is, isn't it? Every trial that comes our way, what what is its purpose? For us to grow in Christ, to become more like Jesus Christ, to grow in sanctification and to bring glory to him through our suffering. So that's the purpose of all. But finally, this is what we want to take away here. If you keep short accounts with God and you keep short accounts with others, you don't have to worry about being disciplined, right? Very simple. If you keep short accounts with God and you confess your sin on a regular basis, if you keep short accounts with your brother and you talk to them where there's a problem and you you, you fix it, you don't have to worry about what's happening in Corinth. No need to worry. Be trained and be sanctified by that process. And again, the irony is that the Lord's table represents judgment, doesn't it? But whose judgment? It represents judgment placed upon Christ for our sins, which he has passed over. So, finally, to turn around this parody of thanksgiving, give thanks often for God's indescribable gift. Give thanks often for that indescribable gift of salvation, the gift of grace that he he gives to us by faith in him. There is none like it. And we should always, we should, I think, every day say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for redeeming me. And then when we come to the table, we understand what it's about. And it's not just some perfunctory thing that we're trying to get our way through. But it's full of meaning. Lastly, in verses 33 and 34, we see the solution. The solution, which is really quite simple. It's not very hard to understand. After all this discussion... Paul says this, so then, my brethren, so then. That's, here's the summation of it all. He says to them, and he calls them brethren because he wants to collect them together. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says very simply, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. That's it. That's it. 
wait for one another. In other words, come together together. When you come together, don't exclude anyone. When you come together, bring everyone to the table. Do not exclude anyone. Receive one another. Welcome one another. And that's what this word wait can mean is receive. That, and that's what the, the Corinthians were not doing. They were not accepting or receiving certain people based upon where they stood in life. And we should never do that. We should never exclude anyone. And when, you know, as a church, we must always make sure that we are welcoming and receiving each other, not on the basis of personal attractiveness. We like people that are attractive and we ignore people that are frumpy or the color of our skin, station in life, young or old, gender, how much money people have whether they're popular or charismatic. It's easy to be drawn to certain people, isn't it? The lovely, attractive, charismatic people. But look around you and be careful not to exclude those people that just come in and out and come in and out and no one notices. Do this together. Worship must always be together. Come together together. Otherwise, you do more harm than good. That's what Paul said in verse 17. You're doing more harm than good. So he says in verse 34, if anyone is hungry, stay home. If you're viewing your time as a a, a way to fulfill and feed your physical appetites, that's not communion. That's not the Lord's table. That's not worship. That's selfish. Stay home because you're doing, doing more harm, harm than good. So some people would, would say, well, I'm hungry. Paul says, just eat something at home before you come to that meal so that you will not come together for judgment. This is how we avoid that judgment. Together. We are together. We are a church that's unified. That is how we guard against God's discipline in our lives. So, don't ever view worship in general or communion in particular as a consumer. That is often a criticism of the church in America. Don't view worship in general or communion in particular as a consumer. In other words, what I'm going to get out of it. I can't wait to hear what the worship team has. I, I want to be fit. I want to, I want to be uplifted by the music. I want, uh, again, I want the pastor to say something clever. I want a great story, a sad story that makes me cry or makes me joyful, makes me laugh. We come to give to him and we come to serve one another. Worship is about giving to God what is his due. Our lives, our worship, our praise, our thanksgiving, our very souls. And it's not about what we get out of it. And that's why people say, say, yeah, I love my church because uh, the music's great the, and the chairs are wonderful and the, the refreshments are good and the, and the pastor's funny. And that's how you build a church, by having all those things. No. We come to give to him and worship. 
Rather, we are to encourage one another as brothers and sisters when we come together. We come on worship on Sunday mornings and our eyes are upwards, but we're also singing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to one another, recognizing that we can't just do this on our own, but with one voice we glorify him. And again, for the Corinthians, the very thing that brought them together as a church, they were using to make distinctions. He didn't save us to divide us. He saved us to unite us. The Corinthians missed it completely. So, to turn around this parody, give thanks for God's family. We are his family. We are his body. We are the redeemed. Thank God often for your church. I do all the time throughout the week. I thank God for you. I thank God for Valley Bible Church. I thank God for the privilege of being part of this family. We should always have grateful hearts for how he has placed us here. So we come to the Lord's table, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up because we are going to partake of the real Lord's Supper. The real Lord's Supper. Remember Paul said to them earlier on, he said, you're not partaking in the Lord's Supper. That's not the Lord's Supper. What you're doing is not it. Is a Thanksgiving meal. Thursday is a Thanksgiving meal, but this is a Thanksgiving meal, the Eucharist, the communion, the Lord's Supper that we do every week. It is a Thanksgiving meal for what he has done for us. It comes, of course, from the Passover meal. And the Passover meal, like baptism, is a reenactment of our personal redemption. Baptism is when when a person stands up and they say, I'm I was a sinner, and someone shared Christ with me, and I understood the gospel that Christ died for me and rose again, and I trusted him as my Savior, and I repented of my sin, and he washed my sins away, and he made me alive together with him, and I'm being baptized to declare to you, this is what has happened to me. Passover was the same thing. It was a retelling of a story. Year after year of the Israelites, we were in bondage in Egypt. God sent plagues. God sent the Redeemer. And he redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. And and communion is a retelling of the story over and over and over again because it's a memorial so that we don't forget. You say, I'm not going to forget. We might forget. Sometimes we walk out the door and we forget. Like the man who looks at himself in the mirror when he reads the word of God and then he walks out the door and forgets what he read. We don't want to forget. We want to partake in a worthy manner of understanding. And what God did for the Israelites was that he passed over them because they they shed the blood of the Passover lamb. They painted it on the on the posts, and they painted it on the lintel, and God passed over their sins because of their faith in the one who takes away sins. And so for us, his body. Jesus came to earth. The incarnation, which we're going to begin to celebrate next week in the first Sunday of Advent, which means the coming of the Lord. 
The body represents the fact that eternal God in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He breathed. He lived. He ate. He laughed. He had friends. He taught. He had miracles. He did good things. He was a real human being, God in flesh. But his body was broken because he was rejected and he suffered and he was crucified and he died. The cup. Jesus shed his blood. That is, he gave his very life for you, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, that you might be made alive by faith in him, that you would have eternal life. Body and blood redeem us individually, yes, but it also makes us one. That's what the Corinthians missed, and that's what we do not want to miss as a church. The body and the blood redeems us. And when we come and we confess our sins and we partake because we are in fellowship with him and fellowship with one another, it's not because we're perfect. It's not because we are qualified. We will never be qualified, right? The church is the only organization, the qualification of which is that you are unqualified. And you Proclaim that to the Lord. I am unworthy. I am unworthy of this bread and this cup. I am unworthy of this sacrifice. And the table represents the grace that we receive. But here's the warning. If we do not extend that grace to others, then we don't even understand grace. The grace which we have received, we extend and live out unified in Christ. So communion is a reenactment of our individual redemption and our corporate redemption. We retell the story every week, lest we forget. It's a memorial. Would you take a moment, just pray to God about the things which we have discussed this morning, and then we will partake together. Take a moment. Father in heaven, we have sought to invert this Thanksgiving parody into the real Lord's Supper that we partake this morning. I thank you for Valley Bible Church, and I thank you, Lord, that you have protected us, and I thank you for the unity that exists in Christ, and the unity that exists practically as we participate in ministry together. Yet we know that we're not perfect and we sometimes let each other down and we sometimes 
let you down. We thank you for the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. So as we partake of this body, this bread, we declare to you that we are one body. And as we partake of this cup, we dare declare to you that we have communion with you, fellowship. Because you have passed over our sins by faith in Christ who died for us. And so, Father, we partake with joy and boldly. We come through the thing that draws us together, the suffering and death of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to partake of the bread and the cup separately. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift and God's people said, Amen. Please stand and let's sing.